0: Good morning church family welcome home It's good to see you all today thanks for being here I have uh, been instructed to inform you um, that at any point in time the fire alarm could go off again and uh, if that is the case please remain calm and seated we're dealing with a faulty sensor and uh, it should start pretty it should stop pretty soon after it starts uh, but if not I will instruct you because I will look to the great and all-knowing Ben Tenley, and if he says, get everybody out, we're going to get everybody out. Uh, but trust me, it's quieter in here even with a fire alarm going off. But it's good to see you this morning, and thank you for being here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to just dive right in, uh, because this morning I want to talk to you about investments. Investments. No, this is not a Dave Ramsey sermon. Uh, this is just, when you hear the word investments, a lot of times we think about money, we think about markets. But you know, there's other investments too. You know that, right? There's an investment of time. You make investments in time every day, right? You invest in people, in relationships. There's a lot of different investments that we can talk about. And, and you know, whether we're talking about money and markets or time and people, the same idea kind of applies for investments in every one of us. When we're invested in something, what is it we're looking for? Returns. That's because it's written up there. I, y'all are all cheating. We're looking for gains. We're looking for returns. We're looking for how it's going to benefit me, right? I mean, that's the point of an investment. It's how is it going to benefit me? I wrote this down. Investments are long-term strategies for success. And a lot of times that's where we kind of get tripped up is the idea that investment is a long-term strategy for success. But anytime we're dealing with investments, regardless of what context you're putting it in, we're looking for those returns. We're looking for how it's going to benefit us. And in our timeline... If, if on that investment, if we're not seeing what we expect to see within a reasonable time, we get kind of frustrated, don't we? If we're invested in something and after a certain period of time, it hasn't performed the way we expected it to perform, and we haven't gotten the returns that we expected to get at this point in time, we kind of we give up sometimes. We shift gears. We move on to something else. We find something else to invest in. We lose patience. We have this response, and, and that's, that's where we stumble. That's where we trip ourselves up when it comes to investments. Because we kind of abandon things too quickly, don't we? Thank you, Hunter. Appreciate that. And, you know, the rest of them are thinking about it. It's okay. We just kind of give up. And you know what? The same thing can be said. How we approach any type of investment, whether it's a financial investment, money, market, relationships, time, you know, we, we apply the same rules, to our spiritual investments. And this morning, I want us to just kind of take a minute to, to evaluate. I want us to, to recognize the investment we're making in our daily walk with Christ. And what I mean by our is ours as in Westmeads, but also, also ours as in the individual people in this room that profess Jesus as Lord. I want us to talk about the investment that we're making in our walk with Christ. Um, and as always, you know, like David said, uh, in the first service, this, the fire alarm went off at seven 55 when the f- service was to start at eight, we started service at eight And, uh, with one song and preaching, we were still done by nine, but there's just like this thing in the back of my head. That's like, we got to go quick. Cause that little red thing right up there on the wall can start flashing at me at any moment. Um, but we're not going to, we're not going to cheapen God's word for the sake of that because it's just the enemy trying to throw us off. But let's spend time in God's word because here, here's the truth. The same can be said about our spiritual investments and our relationship with Jesus that can be said in in our other investments. Because as believers, a lot of times, and, and if it's not you, then just listen to my testimony. But maybe you say, hey, I've been there before too. A lot of times we get to the place where we're not seeing the returns that we expected to see by now. We're not getting... Those gains that we thought would come when we when we do this, or when we said this, or when we attended this, or when we were a part of this. And a lot of times in our relationship with our investing, that we're relation, uh, investing in the relationship we have with God the Father, when we're not getting what we want out of it, we kind of shift gears too. We lose patience. We lose focus. We might even go find something else to invest in for a while that's going to meet our needs, because inevitably that's what an investment is, is what am I going to get out of it when I want to get it out of it? And church, this is the reason, that we, the reason that we have forgotten that it's a long-term strategy. This is the reason why so many of the, the church, the, the capital C church across the world, this is why so many of the church lead dormant and unsatisfying Christian lives, it's because we were expecting to get more out of it by now and it's not happening, so we move on oh yeah, we still call ourselves Christians, but we move on. Church, this is not the life God saved you for. Jesus said in John 10, he said, I've come that they may have what? And that they may have life to the full. This is not what God intended for. So this morning I want to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because I want us to see what good investment looks like in the context of who we are in our relationship with Christ. And as you turn there, I want to share with you a couple of truths that you need to be aware of, that you are aware of, but maybe you just need to be reminded of, church, and this is, that's this. One day, one day, every single person in this room, including myself, technically every single person outside of this room too, one day you will depart this earth. It might be from physical death or it might be when Jesus returns. But one day, every single one of us will leave this earth. There are no exceptions. There are no exemptions. doesn't matter if you like it or not. doesn't matter if you protest about it. It's going to happen. And on that day, when we leave this earth and we stand before God, what we have invested our life in, that's the day you'll get your returns. And I want us to kind of examine that today. So I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to focus on kind of the back half of this text, but I want us to read all of it. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to walk through and see what Paul's trying to show us here, what God is showing us here in his word. So beginning in verse 1, it says, For we know that if the we tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we, were, for while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal May be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Many of you might have heard this text most commonly associated with like funerals. Uh, And what a great hope we have affirmed during that time of mourning that what we have in Christ is matters but this morning i want us to look at three investment lifestyles we can glean from this why three because we're baptists but i want us to look at three investment lifestyles we can glean from this about what we're doing about the investment made in us and the investment we're making in our relationship with jesus and the first one is this the first relationship investment lifestyle that we see here is the investment made in christ The investment made in christ context matters and in this context paul is writing this letter to the church at corinth did y'all hear what i said there who is he writing this letter to the church church that gathers at corinth understand he's not writing to a building he's not writing this to a physical address he's writing it to the people the body of believers that are called the church if you are in christ you are the church y'all know that right good so he's talking to the believers. You know, when we talk about investments, I actually did some research trying to find and learn stuff about investments. It didn't take well. But one of the things that I did learn is, is apparently uh, there's a guy named Warren Buffett. Y'all familiar with Warren Buffett, right? right? Yes. All right, good. Well, if you're not, there's a guy on the Internet. You can Google him. Uh, he's a big investor. He, he, you know what his number one rule of investing is? Anybody? Nobody knew it in the first service. Anybody know Warren Buffett's number one rule of investing? Number one rule, Bobby, don't lose. That's that's pretty genius. His actual rule is don't lose money, but the idea behind it is don't lose. That's his number one rule of investing. And when we talk about our relationship with, with God, I think the same rule applies. Don't lose. And how do we not lose? We identify who we are and find our, our identity in Christ. But here's the problem, guys. In the world today, including in the church in certain circles, the idea exists that when we die, we all go to heaven. We go to a better place. There's a TV show called The Good Place. And it's just this misconception that whenever we die, we're just going to go to heaven. I've heard staunch non-believers that profane the name of the Lord, lose a family or member or a friend, and they come out and they say, well, we know they're in a better place. We know they're in heaven now. And you know what? A lot of this even exists. A lot of this mentality even exists within the church. There are people that call themselves Christians that be like, well, yeah, you know, everybody goes to heaven when they die. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not Truthfulness. I actually read a book one time by a pastor, at least a man who claimed to be a pastor, that made the argument that while people die and go to hell, God is a loving God and doesn't leave them there and brings them everybody up to eternity in heaven. And it's a lie. So this morning, since we've heard lies, since a lot of times we've been propped up on a lie, I want to share with you six truths real quick that we need to understand about our relationship that's invested in Christ. Number one, the truth is this, you will die. I'm not trying to be Johnny Raincloud. I'm just telling you the truth. You, I, we all will die. Truth number two is this. After we die, we all enter into eternal life. It's the truth. Truth number three is this. Only those who believe in Jesus, who have accepted his offer of grace and mercy, who believe God raised him from the dead, who repent and confess of their sins, and who call upon the name of the Lord, only those shall be saved. Here's another truth for you. That's the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's the truth. Another truth. Anyone who dies, who has not given their life to Christ, who has not asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of their life, if when they die, it's not if they die, when they die, they will spend eternity in hell, separated from God and heaven and Christ. It's the truth. We know this because it comes from God's word. And that's the sixth truth I want to hit you with this morning. God's word is truth. It's God's word, God's holy word. And everything we need to know as truth is found in his word. So it doesn't matter if you don't like it. It doesn't matter if you disagree with it. We can't cancel culture, God's word, because we disagree with something in there. It is truth. And this is what we begin with in terms of our lifetime relationship, our investment strategy, investment lifestyle, is investing in our relationship in Christ, giving our life to Christ Jesus. You can go look in chapter 4 of this book, you can read the rest of chapter 5 this afternoon and see that Paul and the men he was with, what they based their salvation on, was in Christ Jesus. He references it in verse 5. Look at verse 5. He says, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. What is to come? It's what the Spirit has been sent as a deposit. The Spirit is in those who have given their life to Christ. If you want further evidence, look at in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. It says, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Church, this is how it works. We are wandering around in a world in which we are lost, The Holy Spirit does work inside of us, convicts us of our sin, and makes us aware of our need for redemption through a Savior. And that's what leads us to giving our life to Christ. And once we give our life to Christ, once we are found in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells among us. So the idea here is, permanent investment lifestyle is to be found in christ and there's evidence of that by the spirit that's been sent as a guarantee for what is to come it's a deposit i love how paul references that deposits that within us He even goes on and talks about it in verse nine he says this he says so we make it our goal to please him now i don't know how many non-believers you know or associate with i hope there's quite a few in order that you may share the gospel with somebody but i've never met somebody who's a non-believer whose goal was to please the lord I've met a lot of non-Christians that have said, you know, I try to live a righteous life. I try to do right things so the men upstairs will, and I'll be on good terms, which is a total farce because it has nothing to do with the gospel. But I've never met a non-believer whose goal in life was to please the Lord. The first step of an investment lifestyle is to be found in Christ Jesus And it goes back to Warren Buffett's number one rule of investment. Don't lose. And if you want to talk about a life well lived, don't lose, man. Find yourself in Christ. This morning, this morning, all these people in this room, by the way, I'm so glad y'all are here. It's really good to see y'all. Smile a little bit. Very good. I can actually tell y'all to smile. It's good. I'm not being evasive. Uh, Somewhere in this morning, there's the truth of the matter is that the fact that There's somebody in this room that when we talk about a lifestyle that begins by being invested in Christ, recognizing the deposit that was paid, recognizing the love God has for you by sending his son and redeeming you, you might not be in Christ. You might be sitting there thinking, you know what? I've been a Christian, I think. I've been a member of this church for so and so years. But my question to you this morning is, are you in Christ? What's your testimony? What's your story? Do you remember a day where you recognized a need for Jesus to save you and you called out to him and asked him to forgive your sins and become Lord and Savior of your life? Do you remember that? I can't tell you how many people I've met when, when I'm like, hey, tell me your testimony. Tell me when you encountered Jesus that so many stories are tragic because there have been so many that I've heard that be like, well, I was seven years old when I gave my life to Christ. Really, tell me about it. I, I met with my parents in the kitchen at my home and they told me it was, it was, I was old enough and it was time to, to go down the aisle and make a decision, and that's what I did. That's not a relationship in Christ. That's an obedience to your parents, which is what we should do. But do you remember a time where you desperately recognized your need for a Savior and you said, I'm willing to lay it down and receive the gift that God has given me through Christ Jesus? Are you in Christ this morning? that's where it all starts second thing I want us to look at that once we are in Christ then that sets us up for the for the investment we're making to one day be with Christ we're talking about a lifestyle of investment in Christ leads us to be with Christ Paul Paul is a wise investor and you can read it in this passage Paul is keeping the end game and goal he's keeping the end game in sight as he is living his life look what he says in verse 8 he says we are confident I say and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. If you've been to a funeral and you heard a, a, the minister or somebody say to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord, this is where it comes from. This is what it, the context of what it's talking about. Paul is longing. Paul is longing for his heavenly home. Paul has lived a life, and this is still about five to ten years before Paul uh, is actually uh, executed and passes on to receive the investment with Christ. But man, he's already seen enough. He's been through suffering. He's been through trial. He's been through uh, beatings. He's been through a whole lot of things. Look at the terminology he uses in the first four verses of this chapter. He uses words like groan, longing, burdened. Paul had seen enough suffering. Paul had seen enough hardship that this world had to offer that he was ready To be with Christ. He acknowledged that while I am in Christ, I will be obedient, but I long to be with Christ. Again, in verse 5, it's it's this guarantee that this was the goal that he was living for. He talks about it in Philippians 3.14 when he says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He was constantly longing to be with Christ. And the only reason he had that longing is because he was in Christ. Christ. He never lost sight of the ultimate goal, which was to be with Christ. It says so in verse seven. He says, we don't live by, by sight. We live by faith because when we're talking about investments, when we're talking about returns, we're talking about gains. We're talking about what we get out of it. It's real easy to stop and see everything good that we can get out of it now. But he says, I don't care about what I see. I'm living by faith because of what the deposit has been paid and it's guaranteed that is to come. He's pointing to the idea of longing to be with Christ church I need to talk about something that might be a little bit of a sensitive topic for some of us and I do not mean to be insensitive I mean to tell you the truth but those of us in this room who are in Christ we understand that one day that means that that investment will pay off and we will be with Christ by the way that investment pays off every single day when we live in Christ we're going to get to that in just a minute but one day we're going to be with Christ and can I just tell you something I want us to take a cue from what Paul is kind of challenges us with us here. One day I'm going to be with Christ. And I've got a list of people that I can't wait to see when I'm in heaven. But church, I want to go to heaven to be with Christ. I'm excited to run into these people, these friends, these loved ones that I've lost. I'm excited to see them. That's not my desire. That's not my drive to get to heaven. That is not the ultimate goal. I think it's going to be neat for us to be able to stand together again and and have some church. But I'm going to heaven because I want to see Jesus. And we need to be a church that when we talk about the glorious privilege we have to be with Christ, that we point people to Christ. I'm not being insensitive because I know there are people in this room that have lost very dear close loved ones. And I pray their salvation was in Christ so that we can one day be reunited. But the goal is not to be reunited with them. This is not a retirement home package that we're looking for. We're longing to be with Christ. And may we be a church that is found in Christ so that we may be with Christ. May that be our testimony. May that be what we're investing in. May that be what we're pursuing. But his desire, Paul's desire to be with Christ did not deter him from the third investment I want us to see this morning because we need to be found in Christ through salvation so that one day we will be with Christ. And I love Paul's duality here, what he's talking about here. I love the first verse. He says, For we know that if in the earthly tent we live in, that one day we may be in our heavenly home. Y'all know the difference between a tent and a home, right? At the end of the day, you know, we got a lot of rain this past week. Had you rather been in your home or rather been in a tent? That's what he's talking about. He's trying to draw this parallel that this, this clothes that we're in, this, this temporal garb of flesh can be affected and beaten and battered, but one day we're going to be in an eternal home. Oh, it's just beautiful, the imagery he paints here. But he's getting us to the point of what he's trying to show us here, that our investment that is made in Christ will lead us to the investment that will pay off when we are with Christ that leads us to the third way we need to invest. And this is the big one, church. This is the big one that we need to be living a life for. Christ for Christ. Look at these last two verses. Let's, let's break down these last two verses real quick. And I want you to see what Paul is pointing us to here. Verses 9 and 10. I'm just going to read them again. It says, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body whether good or bad. We'll break these two verses down real quickly. First, you see this phrase here that he uses in verse 9. We make it our goal to please him. We already talked about it, but I just want to stop for just a minute. Let's pause. Let's hit, let's hit a timeout right now and just kind of dial in. Please don't answer out loud, but I want you to just think about it. Who are you trying to please? When you wake up on Monday, and if God gives us tomorrow, what we'll wake up tomorrow, Who are you trying to please? You trying to please your spouse? Trying to please your kids? Trying to please your family members? You trying to please your boss? You trying to please your coworkers? Maybe you're trying to please your friends. Maybe you're just trying to please yourself. Listen. You were created for an audience of one. You were created to please only God. Now there's nothing wrong with serving our fellow man. There's nothing wrong with loving our family and loving our friends and doing what we can to provide for them and love them and encourage them. And that pleases them. But if that's what our sights are set on, if that's what our goal is, then the returns from that investment are pretty immediate. If we're living on the, the, the responsiveness of how we please other, others, that's what we're going to continually base our lives on. And that's we're going to leave us, at the end of the day, lacking and longing for more. But you were created to please an eternal God. Paul talks about this again in Galatians 1.10. He says this, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Or am I trying to please people? if I were still trying to please people, listen what he says here, I would not be a servant of Christ. Church family, understand this. While we go and seek to serve and minister and love on everybody, we are doing it for the pleasure of God alone. We're not trying to win the world over to convince them that we're anything. We're trying to please the Lord by what he's using us for and serving others. This is the purpose of what we're called in for Christ. Let's keep going in this passage. Make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home at the body or away from it, which is kind of a really cool glimpse that even when we're in the presence, even when we are with Christ, we're still going to be doing things to please the Lord. A continual life of worship. I'm not saying that we're all going to go get on choir robes and just sing songs all day long. I have a feeling it's going to be pretty more exciting than that because God's word tells us we can't imagine what the presence of God is going to be like. So I don't want us to get like all uh, regimented in our thinking. But I do know this, that basically what he's saying is from the moment we are in Christ to the moment we're with Christ and even beyond that, we're still seeking to please him. So how's your worship? Maybe I should ask you that this morning. Because that's what we're going to be able to take with us into his presence. Why aren't we practicing it now? Just think about it. But he says, he keeps going, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I want to talk about this for just a minute because people can get confused by this. Now you're one of two people in this room today. If you're not a believer in Christ, I need you to understand that when this life ends, and it will, we're going to stand before God and we will... The Lamb's Book of Life will be open to see if my name, if your name is found in it. If you are not in Christ, that's the extent of heaven for you. Because God will not see your name and look at you and say, I don't, I've never knew you. Depart from me. And that's it. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to make sure you know the truth from me. But if those of you, who, if those of us who are found in the Lamb's Book of Life, we will go and appear before The judgment seat of Christ. And it says very much in black and white letters here. This is not me making it up. Look at what it says right here. For we must, we, who's his audience? The church, believers. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. There's going to be a day where you and I will be held to give an account an account. We will be held accountable from the moment that we were found in Christ to the moment we were with Christ. We will be held accountable for what we have done, good or bad, since then. Yes, we are written in the Lamb's book of life, and it, our salvation is not dependent on it. But Christ is going to reward us according to what we have done. Church, this is evidence in us for us and in our investment lifestyle to be living for Christ Because too often we have become the church, and this is kind of the watered down church that we're experiencing in America right now, which we'll talk about more next week, spoiler alert, we are becoming the church that says, hey, you know what, I'm in Christ, and that means one day I'm going to be with Christ. Check please, I'm just going to sit back and relax and enjoy the ride. That has become our mentality. That has become what the church is defined with because, hey, now I'm in Christ and I'm really excited, but I'm not really getting what I thought I was going to get out of it, so I'm just going to go do and do live and live however I want to live. I mean, I'm going to be with Christ one day anyway, right? But when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as Paul just very blatantly points to that we will be, what will be said of us by Christ himself? When Jesus looks at us, when we have come to give an account. Will we have anything to say for what we have done with the investment God made in us? Church, you understand that the investment we're talking about here in our relationship with God started by Him making an investment in us. And the down payment for us was the blood of His Son that He sacrificed willingly so that you and I could call Him Father. That was the investment made in us. And may not a single person at Westmead Baptist Church stand before him on that day. And that day is coming. And be held accountable for the fact that the blood that saved us was a blood we were ashamed to walk out of here and declare that we have been transformed by. What are we doing for Christ that reflects the investment he's already paid and made in Us. I have a feeling the blood of Jesus, his son, is going to be something that he looks at me and says, what would you do with it? I'll give an account. Church, it is time for us to refocus on the returns, on the investment that we're making. And it is a long-term strategy for success. What's considered success in your Christian faith? Is it a five-minute devotion and a two-minute prayer and check the box and go do and live however you ever want to live? Or are we going to be a people found in Christ, longing for the day we are with Christ, but until that day comes, we will live for Christ? Church, this is a long-term strategy we're talking about here. And we can't show up here with our family and we don't get what we want out of it, so we gone. And we don't get in the gains and returns that we expected to see, so we're going to complain. And we're not the people that... Are we living a life for Christ because we are in Christ and we long to be with Christ? Or just like our other investments, have we lost patience? Have we moved on to something else that's given us better returns? Are we not getting what we want out of this? Or do we see the long-term goal, investing in what God is doing in our life, what God's doing around us? We're doing that now. I pray this morning that your story, your testimony, is that you are found in Christ Jesus. That you long to be with Christ Jesus. But until that day comes, we will be guilty of living a life for Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for its truth. God, I thank you that while I was not worth it, you made the investment of your love in me through the blood of your son, Jesus. And God, I pray that I will be found faithful to live a life for you. And God, I pray the same for every member of our church that declares Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That it's easy for us, God, to just kind of dismiss and disqualify ourselves. God, that's not what you saved us for. You ransomed us with the blood of Jesus that is worth far more we could ever repay. So God, convict us on where we're failing on our investments. God, for that person in the room right now, God, that the truth be told would honestly say, I really am not sure if I'm saved. I pray, God, through your Holy Spirit, that you would move in their life even now that they would respond by just stepping out of their aisle, walking to one of our staff members on each side of the platform and just saying, I'm, I'm ready to know for sure Jesus is Lord. God, on that day when we stand before you, our pride is not going to be an excuse good enough to let us in. The question today, Father, is our pride enough to keep us out? God, I pray right now for the believer in the room that they're in Christ and they long to be with Christ, but the truth of the matter is they're not really doing anything for Christ right now. They're just living their life, doing their thing, pleasing themselves. God, I pray that you would meet them where they are and remind them of their worth to you. Remind them, Father, of what they were created for in you what they were redeemed for in you. God, until the day you call us home, and it doesn't matter how old we are or how young we are. It doesn't matter what limitations or obstacles we think are too strong to hold us back. God, you are God. And may they seek to go back to the place where they desire to invest in who you are in their life to build your kingdom here. And move amongst us. Find us faithful to be obedient to you, even now. And every day between this one and that, may we live for you. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Let's It's good to see you, good to have you with us this morning. A couple of quick announcements. Starting next Sunday, we're going from three services to two. We're going to have a 9 o'clock service and a 10.30 service. If you're kind of nervous still about what's going on in our world with this virus, I encourage you to attend our 9 o'clock. Uh, the room will be at its cleanest at 9 o'clock, but uh, we invite you. We're going to kind of pare down those two serv- three services to two starting next Sunday. So uh, if you get here at 9.30... You can be really late or really early, uh, but just letting you know, next week nine and ten thirty starts uh, next Sunday morning. Starting this Wednesday, we're shifting our, our our platform. We're still doing our Wednesday night Bible study online. If you're joining us online, hey, by the way, if you don't, if you want to be here in person on Wednesday nights, we start at six thirty. Doors open at six fifteen. Just come join us. Uh, we'll be done at seven fifteen. But if you want to join us online, uh, we're going to be shifting gears to a different media platform, YouTube Live. We'll send you out a link and everything, but I know a lot of people have already memorized. They just go to Facebook and be like, well, where are they? We're not there. We're, we jumped over to YouTube. So join us online uh, if you can't be here in person and with us this Wednesday night. Hey, it's good to see y'all. Thank y'all for being here. I hope you have a great rest of the day.